From Jamit Studios, it's the Made in Africa podcast, a show where African founders and entrepreneurs shared stories behind their businesses and some of the experiences they've gathered along the way. Sit back, relax, and let's get learning. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Made in Africa podcast. I'm your host, Kemeshi Samuel. And on the show today, I can't contain my excitement, actually, because <laughs> <laughs> the guest we have in the studio today is someone I really respect and admire. He's a serial entrepreneur, founder, co-founder, investor, father. I mean, in fact, I'm just going to leave him to do the introduction himself. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome in Lulua Abueji. Thank you. I'm grateful. Thank you for being on the show today. I cannot My tell pleasure. you how grateful I am personally for having you on the show today. Okay, so without wasting much time, since we have limited time. Apologies. No, no. It's, it's perfectly interesting day. It's perfect. <laughs> I can imagine. I can yeah. only imagine. It's perfectly fine. Okay, so um, we'll just get right into it. Please introduce yourself to us. Sure. Uh, my name is Inyolua Apoeji, but most people call me E. E. And um, I am currently the general partner and CEO of the Fund for Africa's Future. So what we do is we back um, missionary founders who are building solutions to hard problems in large mm -hmm. markets. Um, so that's kind of our kind of our thing. So we, we like to take on very difficult mm -hmm. challenges and then, you know. Awesome. Awesome. Build, build them out. All right. Okay, so um, let's let's take a little walk down memory lane. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Are there any particular childhood experiences that you think influenced the career path you've chosen? Um, that's that's a great question. There, there were probably a couple mm -hmm. a couple influences. So I like to think about my life as a series of lessons in leadership. Um, so you know, I grew up in the nineties, and anyone who grew up in the nineties kind of has a residual memory of leadership as Sanya Bacha. <laughs> okay. you know, so you kind of thought about leadership as from the point of view of, you know, um, authority yeah. and all of that. And then, and then, but, but it was a huge contrast kind of how I saw my parents leave okay. because they were, you know, pastors in the church okay. and my dad had a day job and I just saw how much sacrifice yeah. he um, was making. that he was making. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that kind of shifted my, my, my worldview, but I hadn't fully reconciled kind of the, the juxtaposition okay. of what I saw as leadership in mainstream yeah. TV mm -hmm. and what I saw as leadership at home. Mm -hmm. But then over time, I kind of, you know, over time you kind of transition and, you know, leadership in, in the school context basically mm -hmm. meant you were really smart. Um, and so... You deserve to lead people, so you you leverage. It was by your effort. It was by how smart you yeah. were. It was by how intelligent you mm -hmm. were. Where you were yeah. on the school tables. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, and then and then you kind of transitioned very quickly to secondary school. I went to yeah. a, a really 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 great secondary school mm -hmm. with a lot of very gifted people. Okay. Real Jersey College. Okay. Really, wow. Highly competitive. Mm -hmm. And so you know your grades didn't matter anymore. Yeah. Because, like, <laughs> okay. Because everyone was smart. Mm -hmm. And um, and then leadership became influence, right? Okay. So how many people could you make do something? Hmm. But, uh, because they thought you were cool, yeah. or they thought you were worth following, okay. or they liked you, or they didn't like you. Mm -hmm. So how many people would follow you if you made a decision? How many people would follow you, copy your style, yeah. whatever it was, right? 
um, or or looked up to you as okay. somebody to follow. Leadership became influence. Okay. Um, but then I kind of came, I would say, full circle to to that because when I started working, um, you know, I, I kind of took that and, you know, by the time I got into university, yeah. um, it became clear that, you know, uh, you know, I kind of carried that leadership was influence okay. theme. Yeah. And and then, you know, I um, I suddenly realized that, you know, sometimes, you know, well, like some people who are quiet and just do their thing yeah. <laughs> can be leaders True. without having to influence anybody. Mm. Um, and actually, you know, they would, you actually rise to a higher level of leadership when you go beyond, you know, being able to influence others to mm. being able to serve them. Wow. So it wasn't about okay. whether you could get them to do something, but yeah. it was, you know, whether you were willing to do something good Forward. for them. Yeah. So, it, so, so that kind of switched my lane. And then that was kind of my model. Okay. Um, I was very lucky to have learned that yeah. because that was my model kind of going into startups yeah and 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 so i would serve my team quite mm. literally it would be engineers and i would serve my team mm. but then i realized that also the companies we're building were platforms for serving yeah. a much wider, wider audience yeah and you know it it kind of changed the way you think about things mm. so mm. you know help build a number of startups that are really about improving student experience yeah. Um, ultimately landed with Andela mm -hmm. and then the rest is history. Yeah, sure. Okay, speaking uh, about uh, startups, I was going to ask that you've co-founded several successful companies. I mean, truly successful companies. Is there anyone that stood out? Look, I, I think for me, um, Andela was a turning point mm -hmm. of my okay. life. So you have to understand where I was mentally. I had now launched my second startup, mm -hmm. which was failing. Um, I had a team I was responsible for um, based out of um, Canada. Hmm. I was here in Nigeria, okay. which is very tough, yeah. you know, when the yeah. exchange rates go the other way, because <laughs> okay. uh, okay. I had to keep them paid somehow. Wow. Yeah. Um, I also was, um, you know, at the time I was looking at this thing. I, it wasn't very easy financially. Yeah. We had to make a lot of sacrifices. I was happy to come here and explore the market. Okay. We weren't making a lot of headway. Yeah. And then, you know, I we got a lifeline. Okay. We had an investor uh, who I remain grateful for, who Marcus just gave us some money. Okay. And what we thought was, look, this is the last money we're ever going to see. What mm -hmm. are we going to do with it? And actually, we were rather open-minded as a team, given our circumstances, about what we really needed to do to be successful. Okay. And so I reached out to Jeremy Johnson, okay. who I had known from before, um, and who had built a successful company, which, as I understood, that they had just recently IPO'd. And so I reached out to him, and we had we managed to get in touch. Okay. We had a great conversation, yeah. and, and then the rest is history. But that was the first business where we actually learned from somebody who had actually done it properly mm, okay how to succeed mm. and I, I think there's just a lot of lessons there i mean yeah. there's a lot of learn from failure learn from okay. failure but it's yeah. like also learn from the best sure sure and i Definitely. felt like that was our training ground okay. or like what we would then go on to build yeah. it was just you know we mm. were able to learn from some of the best yeah 
um, one of the best entrepreneurs in the world wow. about what it took to build a successful mission-driven business. Hmm. All right. But prior to this, you had founded, I think, two companies yeah, while you were in Canada. Com and Fora. Exactly. Can you share briefly with us what that experience like was like? It was interesting. I mean, for Booknetter.com, yeah. I got into it really thinking, well, on in retrospect, yeah. thinking. Because <laughs> we, what we're trying to do was we we had the software we used to use in school called Blackboard. And it was horrible. <laughs> it, was just, it was just really yeah. bad software. Okay. Um, and we none of us liked it. Okay. But we had to use it to submit assignments and go to school yeah. and all that. And we genuinely thought the school would allow us to replace Blackboard. Um, even though we were students yeah. in the same school, school. Yeah. <laughs> which wouldn't, I mean, wouldn't make sense to True. anybody True. Um, except us <laughs> for some odd reason. Yeah. So that was kind of our first kind of baptism of fire mm. came to okay. tech. Um, yeah. Just that experience of, you know, trying to uproot um, Blackboard. But, but then we figured out at some point that, okay, we need to find another business mm. because the school wasn't going to give this big, yeah. you know, multi hundred thousand Canadian dollar project to mm. us. Um, so we decided to go and um, and start another company or, or pivot our company okay. to selling past question papers. Mm. Um, and we, we did that. So we'll take past questions, publish them. Yeah. Students could collaborate, answer the past questions, yeah. which was helpful because quite a number of the professors didn't like to reset questions okay. because most of them were researchers yeah. and teaching was like an inconvenience mm -hmm. for them. But then they got really mad because <laughs> then they would have to set new questions because the kids already knew yeah. all the answers. All the other answers the to the ones already they had. Yeah so, yeah. so, so, you know, they actually attempted to sue us. Wow. Yeah. For, uh, <laughs> wow. For, for, for profiting off intellectual property that was okay, ours. Okay, okay, okay. So it was really... Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, because Waterloo had this weird thing where the school didn't own anything. Okay. All the IP. Yeah. Uh, the professors directly owned all the IP. Okay. Unlike most other schools where the school does yeah. retain the IP. So that included question hmm. papers. Okay. So it was really interesting. And then, um, and then you know, that that obviously we had to shut down. And then mm -hmm. we went to one of the professors and said, okay, what, what would you like? Yeah. And they were like, yeah. okay, let's build platform together mm. where I can use this to teach um, students that were not enrolled in University of Waterloo okay. since I own the IP. Yeah. And so we did that and that went pretty well. All right. um, and then after, but, but after a while, it's like, look, let's just sell it to the professor. And we did. And, um, and then I decided I wanted to focus on the continent. Wow. Okay. The rest of my colleagues yeah. rightfully, rightfully thought they would mm -hmm. instead focus on okay. other ventures in Canada. And then that was when I decided to go to four. All right, awesome. Um, you mentioned earlier that while you were founding Andela, you were also running a company that was failing. Yeah, that was Fora. Okay, that was Fora. Yeah. Okay, now is Fora still in existence? No, of course. No, so what ended up happening was, yeah. so Fora decided to, you know, we, we were running the company, it was kind of there, but okay. struggling, but we decided to, we had some cash, so we decided to go this whole path of, okay, let's invest a bit in this idea of, finding young people, training okay. them to become developers and mm -hmm. placing them in jobs. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we see that the idea and the first class actually worked out pretty well. Okay. Um, which convinced Jeremy and Christina to mm -hmm. kind of come into this full time. All right. So, so that was kind of the context at the time. So once yeah. that happened, Fora then basically was absorbed 
its investors were absorbed okay. into Mandela and then it was dissolved. Awesome. So you've done this several times. Mm-hmm. You've, you've you founded companies. I'm curious and I believe listeners too mm-hmm. are also curious. How do you know if an idea is worth pursuing? How can you tell? I think for me, I, I look at like a, a few things. I think okay. the first thing is who has this problem? And do they even know about it? <laughs> okay. So it's like, okay. you know, that's the first step. Yeah. Second of all, how many people have this problem? Okay. But the third question I ask is, what would it cost to solve this problem? Um, and the fourth question I ask is, what is the cost of this problem hmm. to the person who has it? <laughs> like how much do they want to get rid of this problem? Yeah. Yeah. Like, or, or how much are they currently spending on an alternative? Oh, okay. Okay. Right? Yeah. And then, then the fifth and the most important question is, you know, would they be willing to pay for, for a slightly cheaper hmm. solution than what they currently have? Okay. And with definitely. all of those, you can definitely can be you. sure if this idea is worth pursuing. I can tell you if it's worth pursuing. Wow. Okay. Um, I, I'm looking at this from this perspective. What if the market isn't large enough, but then the impact of the business on society is one that you just can't bear to ignore? It's impossible. Hmm. That you have a market that's not large enough, yeah, but impact the society. That's great. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. You yeah. know, I've I've not talked about how much does a person have mm-hmm. because yeah. sometimes people pay in time. Hmm. Do you get what I'm yeah. saying? People pay with their time. They don't always have to pay in cash. Yeah. Kind. Okay. So, um, at this point, Andela was already doing pretty well. After a while, yes. Yeah. Okay. So, um, how did you then get into investing in startups? So, I mean, you know, Andela had done really well. Yeah. And Jeremy had made the case for us with the board to take a little bit of money off the table. Then, you know, we were single guys, all living in Jacob Mews, about 11 of us. Okay. You know, we didn't have a care in the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we got really small salaries mm-hmm. compared to what people ask for now. Okay. Okay. And, you know, we lived together, so we saved a lot of money. Yeah. But, you know... At the end of the day, it was just like, we got all this money. What are we going to do? Do we think, yeah. And um, we've got friends who weren't as lucky as we were. Okay. And at first, our own concept of angel investing was just help out your friend. Mm. But take some equity for it. <laughs> sure, sure. So that was basically yeah. okay. what it boiled down to. And then how did this transition into future Africa? I think, you know, by the time I was at Flutterwave, yeah. you know, I started to see a pattern with some of the businesses that we were supporting. Um, and, and yes, our friends were good people to start with, but mm-hmm. we realized that there was quite a number of people outside of that friend circle that weren't just looking for money from us, mm-hmm. but wanted more and guidance, support, yeah. questioning, whatever. Mm-hmm. They just wanted more than just, oh, just sign the check and get out. Yeah. And, um, and we found that rather interesting. So we started to structure ourselves to be able to, to do it, um, leveraging, of course, our ventures. And that was kind of the second wave if you can call it that of how we started so what we did was we didn't have the money then but at that time andela and at at least florida wave had gotten a bit more successful okay at that point i had left andela okay florida wave had gotten a bit more successful so what we did to kick off was we took a loan against our shares wow Wow. bold (laughs) enough um it wasn't like directly structured against it, but okay. there was an understanding that we All would right. have to sell our shares at a discount if we failed. Okay. <laughs> and then yeah. we started to invest All right. um, the money that we were given yeah. into startups. Awesome. So I personally, um, 
I'm in support of what Future Africa is doing here in the African um, ecosystem. But I, I, I want you to tell me, what's the role actually that Future Africa is playing in the African startup ecosystem? That's a great question. Yeah. Um, the role keeps changing, hmm. right? So I think when we started out, we were just getting, we started in the middle of the pandemic. Okay. 2020. Yeah. I remember we wrote an article called, It's Time to Fund the Future. Hmm. And it was very prophetic because... I mean, this was pandemic, startup funding had fallen, yeah. and many people were kind of um, cackling about how, you know. To recover from startups. the effect, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was just like, you guys overpriced, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, these were decently priced companies. Hmm. Anyway, the COVID period was, was very tough on startups. So mm -hmm. we tried to be supportive okay. by getting people who had some money saved now because they were indoors mm -hmm. as a result of the pandemic. Yeah or they were getting stimulus checks or whatever, yeah. um, invest hmm. in our collectives. Hmm. And it was that investment that got some companies through, okay. you know, critical points in the wow. business yeah. over the line. Mm -hmm. um, and and then when the markets came back, yeah. um, we started to really think about what was our role in terms of educating the market, okay. how to think about specific subject areas. Yeah, That was kind of our our second phase of work was really kind of how do you set the information, yeah. fill information gaps within the perspective? Okay. How do you encourage more people to come yeah. in? How do you educate decision makers, mm -hmm. policy makers about what we're trying to do? All right. Um, now I think that our role is changing again. Okay. And I think our role is there are problems that people consider unsolvable. Hmm. You know, when you talk about things like infrastructure, mm -hmm. think about things like power or talent. Mm -hmm. You know, people are like, man, dude, lots of very smart people have yeah. tried this and they have way more money than you do. <laughs> okay. Fun. Yeah. Um, why, you know, what draws you into these types of ventures? Yeah. But I think what I've learned is just, you know, we like, we like that kind of stuff. Mm. We like to solve real problems. Yeah. We, don't, we don't like the app business. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, okay. So I think that that's where we are. We're like, how do we lead the ecosystem okay. to have an appreciation of innovators who are solving hard problems? Not wow. Projects. Okay. Awesome. So um, between 2020 and now, mm -hmm. I know that Future Africa focuses on mission-driven um, startups and founders to um, invest in them. So far, have you made any bad investments? Oh, of course. Many, mm. many, many. many. Um, I mean, they teach you as much, you know, as you learn. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I've lost quite a bit of money on quite a number of transactions where, mm. you know, some they all range, you know, sometimes it's co-founder mm. trouble. Sometimes it's no, you know, the founder has lost interest in the business. Really? That happens? Yeah, all the time. Wow. Yeah, you just get an email. Hey, I'm no longer interested. Done. The founder. Yeah. This is surprising. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's okay. Okay. Exactly. People are not. I mean, if, you, if you're not interested in the business, I'd actually rather you had the honesty to just tell me. Okay. Um, hopefully before the money finishes. <laughs> All right. But if you tell me after, I actually don't mind. Hmm. Yes, okay. Sometimes you just do it. Say Nigeria is too hard and go to Okay. Job. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay, and that, 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 that makes a lot of sense. Um, so now, in Africa, as a whole, there have been a lot of ambitious projects. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
But I'd say personally that on the list of most ambitious projects to yeah. be embarked on here in Africa, Talent City ranks somewhere in the top. We haven't even done anything. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know, I know. But then I really hope I really hope it happens then. <laughs> I I I the, it's very ambitious and I just want you to explain to us um how much of an impact should it be successful? How much of an impact do you think it's going to have? Here on um, Africa and Nigeria as a country and then Africa as a whole. Yeah, look, I, I keep saying it like there's no other world where it would be acceptable for an industry that attracts five billion dollars in investment a year to not have an address. Hmm. <laughs> it's like a billionaire without a home. Home, it's yeah. Like, where? <laughs> no matter how like, mm -hmm. you know, even Elon Musk is like, I don't own anything. Yeah, yeah. He still has a home. Yeah, he, he has, has somewhere he goes, he somewhere goes back he goes to, to, to sleep, yeah. And that's that's what we are right okay. now. Okay. As an industry. Mm. We're a billion dollar industry without yeah. mm. and and at the end of the day you can try and do this digital thing as much as you want. Okay. But the reality is as people are discovering, right? Yeah. Like the place the places where you need to work, where you need to focus, they are not um the infrastructure is not evenly distributed. Mm. So you still have to worry about fuel for your gen. You still have to worry about your internet yeah. working. You still have Big to worry problem. about water. Yeah. You still have to worry about, you know, then it's, it's like sometimes you, you just, you want to be with other smart people. You don't mm. want to sit in an environment where all you do is bemoan the country. Okay. You want to be in a space where you're energized by other people's yeah. ideas on what they're building. Yeah. Yeah. And you want to be able to kick back and, and have fun with them. And it's hard mm -hmm. because... You know, there's nowhere like yeah, that. Yeah, there's nowhere like that. So I think that the reality is if we succeed, and, and I mean, we've gone far, I'll yeah. be honest. We've got some 2,000 square meters of land in Ekbeh. We're wow. on trips yeah. there. We're, we're, we're building the roads, mm -hmm. we're doing all that stuff. So mm -hmm. I'm not, this is not to say that when, like, nothing's happening. Yeah. It's still a long way to go. Okay. But, um, but if we succeed, what I'm really, really excited about is what the ripple effect would be. Hmm. Because all of a sudden you show governments companies, people, what is possible when mm. an ecosystem comes together. Wow. I mean, we, we talk about the tech community. Yeah. Where do you go to see it? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where do you go to experience, experience it? Yeah. If you go to, I mean, I, I had the privilege of taking some bank MDs to Silicon Valley. Okay. And we had places to go. We went mm. to well, plug and play. We went to Google. Yeah. We went to Facebook, you know, mm -hmm. and it was beyond the offices. You walked into an, a, you were transformed mm. or transfixed into okay. an environment that was techy. Wow. But you don't have that experience here. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, no one's managed to build mm -hmm. something, an expression of technology that yeah. Yeah. caters for us. Mm. Awesome. I mean, you mentioned that there's still a lot to do so far. What um, challenges have you encountered so far? So, I mean, the reality is, yeah. you know, finance is the biggest one. Okay. Because some people have been very kind. Yeah. Giving us real assets and stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, this is a huge undertaking. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately for us, you know, we're not at the size where we make sense for like a DFC, mm. a DFI, um, like a development finance institution. Yeah. At the same time, we do need significantly more money to be spent on real estate than your mm. typical startup. So that kind of makes people a bit nervous, mm. right? Yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, but I, I am very confident that we'll figure it out. Okay, awesome. Um, 
I personally am looking forward to it. I mean, I've we've seen it in movies. Yeah. Yeah, spaces like that and how um it inspires people to like dream as big as they can. Yeah. And I, I believe that having something like that definitely in Nigeria, which I, I think is the hub of um, tech here in Africa. The capital of venture. Exactly. Yeah. Would just be <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I'll find a way to get into tech one <laughs> any way I can, but you're I don't... Re- you're already in tech. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Um, so wrapping up, since um, we have um, limited time left, we, we hear a lot about um, successful entrepreneurs telling aspiring um, founders or entrepreneurs to do a lot of reading, research, study people, study what they've done. What books can you recommend to aspiring founders? or entrepreneurs in general? That's a great question. Um, yeah. I think the first thing is, I, I always tell people to read a book called Founders at Work. Hmm. Founders at Work. Yeah, by Jessica okay. Livingston. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just always helpful for you as a founder to like understand that the journey is a journey and that even in your lowest points, yeah. people have been where you are before. Mm-hmm. It just has its way of lifting you. It's not mm-hmm. like you're like finding solace in people's misery. Yeah. But like, Sometimes when you encounter difficult times and they come with startups, your default is like you did something wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, life is answering you this way because yeah. you did something wrong. Yeah. yeah. But that's not what's happening. Sometimes mm. it's just like, you know, you didn't do anything wrong, but it's tough. Mm. So this is it expressing it's tough. Yes. Um, reading that book really give you quite a bit of perspective. Okay. Just to see other people's struggles. Yeah. Their, Blackberry Founders to Mitch Kapoor at Lotus one two three and it just gives you a sense of the evolution of a tech industry. Okay, okay. The second book I would recommend for tech people is Zero to One. Mm. It does give you a very solid mental model about on with respect to why tech, right? Mm. Why is tech special? Yeah. What is it about this tech thing? Yeah, and it's important for you to understand that from a first principles point of view so that you can continue to build real leverage, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, knowledge leverage uh, in the field and understand how business models work and yeah. so forth. Um, there are other books that, you know, Four Steps to Epiphany. Um, you know, there's um, there's a book that I can't remember now, Customer Development. There's Lean Startup. Yeah. There is, there's a lot of... There's a lot books. to read. There's Definitely. a lot of really good books. But yeah. I, I would say... If I was uh, advising an entrepreneur, I'd say, you know, founders at work, zero to one, and then maybe the Bible. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> can I explain? Can I ask why you mentioned the Bible? Look, I'll tell you the truth, right? Okay. Like my own experience, yeah. um, and I'm pretty public about my faith, is mm-hmm. that, look, at the end of the day, the Bible has some really, really, really practical wisdom about mm-hmm. running businesses. Mm-hmm. It just tells you something, and you're like, yeah. hmm, I never thought about that. And uh, yeah, okay. so I, I like to okay. also part of my toolkit. <laughs> All right. Um, so this is one um, issue I think many um, early stage founders have. Mm-hmm. You're running your company. Let's say you've been bootstrapping all the while. And then you've come to the point where you've realized that for this company to grow as it should or for it to be sustained, you definitely need outside capital. capital yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, what do companies like this need to take care of first before approaching investors? It's a great question. Um, So my experience, I think the first thing they need to be clear about Mm -hmm. is what they're building (laughs) and why. Basic, yeah. 
Um, I think without that, you're just wasting your time, mm. right? So yeah. what are you building? What is it that you want to do? Because um, I see a lot of people these days just like on the strength of their own reputation yeah. can walk up to investors and, and say, hey, I need money. And you know what? Like, if you're not clear about what you're building, you yeah. end up spending that money on your lifestyle. Hmm. I've seen it too many times. And you lose trust with an investor that could have led you all the way. So I, I like to say, look, why don't you, first of all, figure out what is it that you want to do? Okay. Then, after figuring that out, then you're going to know what help, apart from money, you need. You need, yeah. And whether you're in the right environment, hmm. you know, to get it. So okay. that... that no, that, Those I are mean, yeah. basically okay. Know what you want. Know what you are building. Yes. The type of help you I want. Need. Okay. Yeah. All right. Awesome. So, um, on a final note, now, mm-hmm. are there traits you think you have that have helped you thus far in your journey as an investor, founder, and an entrepreneur? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um. I mean, some of them are fairly obvious. You know, go all in. Mm-hmm. You know, don't leave any. Any doubts about where your loyalties generally lie yeah. in terms of building new things. Okay. Um, you know, try and work with people, find ways to work with as many people as you can, even yeah. if you don't really like them. Hmm. <laughs> I know that. I mean, these are very, very important principles, yes. in my opinion, Okay. for why you should uh, uh, build, right? Okay. Um, but, you know, I would say... I'd say I think the biggest trait for me is just I get easily um like don't dare me. Hmm. Like it's just okay. that's just kind of personal. Yeah. Like I, I get riled up very easily, easily by people who express or extend their doubts hmm. to me. And you know, I can spend years just trying <laughs> to prove a point. Yeah. Okay. 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 <laughs> so it's yeah. like, you know, so yes. Yeah, so I think that helps me a lot because once I create an imaginary, even if it's an imaginary enemy yeah. <laughs> in my head, um, not, not, not from point of view of like a person, but yeah. just like if I see something or problem or mm-hmm. something I'm going after, I'm, I'm just going to stick to it until it's done. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that does get Yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Inyinolua Aboyeji, for your time with us here in the studio. I cannot tell you how grateful I am because some of the questions I asked here are questions, my own personal questions. Like, of course, I love <laughs> Exactly. So I asked, and I'm, I'm pretty sure our listeners too have gotten a lot like I have. And it's just awesome. I don't know if it's possible another time. Yes. But, yes, for us to actually... We'll make more time. After. Okay. Thank you very much. That's been it, guys, on this week's episode of the Made in Africa podcast. I'm your host, Kemishi Samo. Join us again next week as we interview yet another amazing founder who will share their story, experience, and lessons with us. And hopefully, by listening to all of this knowledge, we'll be able to avoid problems that most startup founders make. That's been it on this week's episode. I'm Kemishi Samo. Peace. That's all on this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe to the Made in Africa podcast on the Jamit app or wherever you get your podcasts. Your questions and or comments are appreciated. I'm your host, Kimishi Samo, and you've been listening to the Made in Africa podcast. Mm-hmm.